The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, Episode 101. The Queen of England is the legal owner of one-sixth of the Earth's land surface. No wonder she hasn't gotten around to sending me that card yet. One, two, three. I'll show you Paris in the morning. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and whether this is your first time listening or you have been with us through all the past 100 episodes, and it feels good to say that, to have triple digits under our belt, I want to say thank you for joining us today and for making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And today is the second part of my interview with Dave Cornthwaite, British adventurer, explorer, overall awesome guy. So if you missed part one, go check that out. He talks about how he went from being a couch potato to being one of the number one adventurers in the world now and doing all types of crazy expeditions a really fascinating story. He tells us he's not superhuman. He proves that he's not superhuman. So you want to check out part one. Also, two bits of housekeeping, two favors that I want to ask of you. Number one, we are running a survey once again. You can get that at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash survey. We have now done two months of podcast gluttony, two full months, five episodes a week, and we want to know how we're doing. We want to know what shows. So if you could go to that survey, it'll take you less than five minutes to fill out, and we will be giving away a $50 Amazon gift card to one lucky winner. So make sure when you fill out the survey, to leave your email address so that we can contact you if you are the winner. We really, really appreciate you checking out that survey and filling that out. The second thing is tomorrow, Wednesday, November 5th, if you could, please subscribe to the Extra Pack of Peanuts podcast. We want to try to crack into iTunes top 100 podcasts overall, which would be a huge score for us. It would help us get the word out about this podcast to so many more people who haven't found it yet. So if you like what we're doing and you like the podcast and you enjoy the podcast, please help us out. Subscribe on Wednesday, November 5th. That's tomorrow. If you're listening to this live, it's very important that people subscribe over a certain 24-hour period. So if you could do that Wednesday, November 5th, we'd really, really appreciate it. And hopefully we can crack into iTunes top 100 podcasts overall in the US. That would be absolutely amazing. So thank you guys in advance for all the support for filling out the survey. And let's roll right into part two of my interview with Dave Cornthwaite. Let's list out the legs so far of the Expedition A Thousand Project. Because as you said, you know, it's you're doing it 25 different ways. I think you just completed number 11, just so people can get an idea of what you've done. Because I think it's really cool that you decided that you're going to take different modes of transportation and that it's all over a thousand miles. So if people, just to give them an idea of what you've done so far. Okay, that's right. So prepare yourself. This can become mind boggling. So 
I skateboarded 3,618 miles from Perth to Brisbane across Australia. I kayaked for two and a half months, two and a half thousand kilometers down the Murray River in Australia. I rode a tandem bike 1,400 miles in 14 days with my friend Sebastian between Vancouver and Vegas. And the first time <laughs> we ever sat on a tandem bike was when the journey started. I stand up paddleboarded 2,404 miles, the length of the Mississippi River that took 82 days. I sailed across the Pacific with a crew of people. Um, I wasn't totally responsible for the sailing that was just 17 days about three and a half thousand miles what was number six? Oh yeah i rode a quarter ton four-wheel pedal car it's like a bicycle that desperately wants to be a car between my memphis and miami i swam 1001 miles down the lower missouri mainly because my mum bought me some swimming goggles for christmas and i thought i better use them well number eight was on the elliptigo uh, 1950 miles from liverpool England to Nice, France, over the Alps and across Europe. And 9, 10, 11, I've all done this year, all kind of recumbent journeys. So uh, one was on a wike, which is a tricycle with a sail. Uh, that was 1,009 miles uh, along the spine of Chile's Atacama Desert, the driest place on the planet. And then immediately I flew to Germany and I found myself at a non-motorized transport show and thought there's no way I can fly back to England from here. So I got people on Facebook <laughs> to pick one of the non-motorized transportations at the show. I opened an envelope and a few minutes later I got onto another kind of tricycle, one without a sail, and rode it 1,100 miles back to the UK. And then... Uh, yeah, like you said, I've just completed 1,000.5 miles on a Hobie kayak between Oslo, Norway and Helsinki, Finland. The great thing is I'm not even halfway through this project. You know, how many cool stories along the way? Yeah, that is, <laughs> that's, inc that's incredible. How much of those are planned out? Like you mentioned the one where you didn't know what you were going to do and you, you asked people on Facebook. But mm. like, for example, do you know what number 12, 13, 14, 15 are going to be? Or is it kind of just happen organically where someone gives you an idea or like you said, your mom buys you goggles or something happens and the wheels start turning and you think, all right, in two months, I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this. Yeah, that's pretty much how it happens. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the, the skateboarding took me took me a year to plan, but I had no idea what I was doing. Now life is just so organic. I don't know how I'm going to be feeling about something in six months' time. So I'm not going to be planning for something beyond that. I literally don't know what I'm doing on the 1st of January this year, uh, next year. Obviously, I know what I'm doing 1st of January this year. That's past already. <laughs> <laughs> but I only really plan a couple of months in advance at max. You know, sometimes sometimes an idea comes up. I got into the Hobie kayak 12 days after I had the idea for that trip. You know, it doesn't really take long. It's just a question of, do I want to do this? Okay, let's go. And have there been trips then that, I mean, you've obviously completed all of these over a thousand miles. Have there been ones that have been more difficult? And, and if so, why? Or have there been ones that have been more fun? And if so, why? Or are they all... I know it's a hard question to a answer. It's probably like picking your favorite kid, but I'm sure there must be little things that stick out for you. Like, man, this was just, this was really hard or this was really fun or, you know, any of those adjectives that you can pick. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously I'm getting to the point now where I've got this amazing collection of expeditions um, in the background and I am starting to kind of, you know, compare them to each other in terms of, I get asked what was the hardest and what was the easiest and what was the most fun and which one did you hate and which one will you do again? I think everyone was really just hard 
and beautiful at the same time. I think, you know, the swimming was just the hardest physically and mentally. It really was, man. But skateboarding was really tough in so many ways because it was the first time I'd done anything that big. Skateboarding for five months, you know, my body started to fall apart. I had blisters the size of half tennis balls on my feet. That was grim. I really love traveling on water, the Mississippi and this recent journey on the Hobie kayak was just, they were both just beautiful in their own right. There's something special about traveling on water or down a river. It's just beautiful. But at the same time, I could pinpoint little moments from each of those trips where it was just utterly miserable or hard. You know, I thought, gosh, I don't even know if I'm going to survive today. Every one of them, if I really thought in detail, gosh, we could, we could talk for a year about each trip, you know. Has there been a time where that you've said, like, this is the closest I've come to quitting what, whichever trip it was? Has there been one moment or two or three where you thought, like, this is it, I'm going I'm to quit and then haven't? Or has it always, has that never really even been a thought? It's, re- it's rarely a thought. You know, I, especially as time goes on, I, I, I know more and more um, how to trust myself. I know why I do things. So it's really, I'm never going to make a decision that compromises that, which means usually I'm going to make a decision about doing something that I really want to do. When I was skateboarding, I, I had a big team with me and a documentary crew following. And after about three and a half months, you know, things were really falling apart. It was just a really horrible, ugly situation that the documentary team were doing stuff that we hadn't agreed on before. And all the while I was skating between 60 and 100 kilometers a day, you know, I was really broken physically. So it's hard to come off the road after that and kind of deal with things rationally when you're when you're psychologically tired as well. Yeah, I think about a thousand miles before the end of the skate journey, I was really considering stopping early. I'm, I'm glad I didn't. I continued. And the only journey actually that I haven't seen all the way through to the original plan was on the elliptigo, actually. I ruptured a disc, the lower disc in my spine, not through elliptigoing. It's really good for your health. Don't worry, Trav. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> yeah. I, I lifted it up really badly and slipped down some stairs when I got to Zurich and I was storing the elliptigo overnight. And um, yeah, I ruptured my disc. I carried on and did another five. 500 miles after that but I was just absolutely wasted and had I gone any further I would have you know caused some long-term damage I'm actually still suffering you know well over a year on so that's that's why I finished that one early but luckily I'd got over the thousand miles by then so it still counted <laughs> well there you go proof that you're not superhuman I guess no, right? def- no, no I'm such an ordinary human I really am <laughs> have you found that you enjoy these adventures better on your own doing it like I obviously you did the tandem bike you've done the you've done the elliptical with another person some of these have been with groups if you were to pick I mean is there even a way to say you like one more than the other yeah there's definitely a way you know I I, I prefer traveling alone especially on these journeys you know I, there are moments when of course you want to share it directly with people but you know just because you travel alone doesn't mean doesn't mean you're completely solo all the way you know I meet probably more people when I'm traveling solo than I do when I'm with a team and there are some beautiful moments and memories looking back to journeys where I've traveled with others but at the same time I think a lot of the the most miserable moments I've had on my trips come because of you know the constant day-to-day wear and tear and friction that happens when two or three or even five people get together and complete something very intensive as as a team I think you know, if I really want to eradicate the most unhappy times I've had on my adventures, then that's really why I travel solo now. 
Um, it's not because it's, you know, definitely going to be an unhappy journey when I travel with somebody, but I just, I just prefer the thinking time, the freedom, the ability to decide in an instant what I'm going to do without having to run it past somebody else. You know, I think that that just naturally takes away a little bit of the freedom that these adventures can give so much of. Yeah. And during these adventures, you mentioned some are barely planned at all, you know, 12 days and, and you're on the adventure. What with the day to day, is it is it mostly camping? You know, kind of walk us through what you do day to day outside of the actual paddling, skating, what have you. What about the logistics? If someone says, you know, all this sounds great, I would love to do an adventure as well. I'm going to do something like this. But I'm a little worried about the logistics. How do I sleep? And, and you know, where do I get food and, and all this stuff? What have you do, you, do you have a method now? Not a method so much, um, apart from just let it happen. I think these spontaneous journeys, the last two that I've done this year, happened in no time whatsoever. And they were two of my favorites because, because there was no plan. I didn't really have time just to get deep into the nitty gritty. I never really look at a map apart from, oh, there's water between Oslo and Helsinki. <laughs> I can kayak that. Literally, that's how this one happened. I kind of measured. I put my fingers next to the scale on Google Maps on my computer and thought, yeah, that looks like it's a thousand miles. Let's go. And then, so I, I, I'll take a, usually a hammock, um, or, or a tent. So, you know, I've always got a place to sleep if I don't meet somebody along the way. Um, probably between 15 and 30% of the nights on any given journey, even the unplanned ones, I'll meet somebody or I'll meet a cool family or there'll be, you know, some kind of referral on Facebook and they'll say, I've got a friend who lives there. You should get in touch with them. Or so I'll get a random call one day or just meet someone on the shore. And suddenly they're offering a beer and a meal and a shower because I really need a shower. And, and quite often a bed comes with that. You know, it's just, it's just an amazing process. It refreshes your, I guess your respect for human kindness, you know, humans are just, they're there to be good. And sometimes that's just taken away just in our situation. Quite often, you know, if you're living and working in a city, you're, you're self-contained, you know, you've looked after yourself, you've got a place to go back to, you need a house. So it's rare that you'll, you'll encounter somebody who is kind of vulnerable and they're on the way and they need some help. Maybe they need some food or some shelter in a storm. And that's something you find, I find every single day, that kindness just emanates from people you meet and it's beautiful. Yeah, it's whenever you're vulnerable, and that usually comes, as you mentioned too, with being alone, you're usually more vulnerable. People see a person by themselves. It's much different. This is traveling or an adventure or anything like that. It's much different than if you are with two people or three people or four people because you're instantly more approachable because they think, well, he's on his own, so he probably doesn't have anyone to talk to, or maybe they just think you're a poor, unfortunate soul <laughs> who has no friends. Who knows what they think, but you're instantly more approachable. I think that leads to very genuine connections, like you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when you're when you're kind of truly happy, your your eyes just shine, you know, and you're smiling all of the time. And I think that just that just kind of bounces off you when you're in the middle of a trip like this. You know, you're seeing new things and you're fit and you're healthy by proxy, by default, because of the way you've chosen to travel. And, and, and suddenly, you know, people, I don't know whether people are drawn to you or you're just drawn to other people because that's part of a trip. But, you know, these relationships, these friendships that come out of, of journeys, they just, they make it. People make these trips. They really do. It's, it's lovely traveling through a beautiful part of the world, but everywhere is beautiful, really, depending on how you choose to see it. But it's the people that really stand out. 
Yeah, it's always the people. Whenever anyone comes on the show and talks about why they enjoy traveling or they enjoy adventure, it's always the people they're meeting versus the place they are. Yes, we can see beautiful things and there's some really fantastic landscapes and scenery, natural and man-made in this world, but it always comes back to the experiences that you had with people, with this guy that you didn't know, you know, five minutes ago you had no idea who they were and all of a sudden you're telling stories and and sharing a friendship that's blossomed super quickly. And I think that happens much faster when you're adventuring or when you're traveling because you are receptive and open to those type of experiences. Totally. 100%. You know, it's, I don't know whether I'd enjoy kind of going and doing a solo trip in Antarctica, you know, <laughs> I, you know, it's, I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, high five a couple of penguins, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah, you're not going to run into someone in in the middle of Antarctica, probably. Yeah, I mean, at the, at the same time, I absolutely love the idea of that solitude and how I've got to push myself. But at the same time, my mind most of the time would be thinking about people I've met in the past. <laughs> so people are always a part of it, even if you're by yourself. A hundred percent agree. One of the things we like to ask people on this show, and and obviously you've done a lot of traveling, you've done a lot of traveling on a budget because a lot of these trips, you know, you're not going out and spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to do them. They're very, I don't want to say indie, but independent sometimes. What are some of your best tips for traveling more and spending less? Because it doesn't even have to be an adventure, but just stuff that you've picked up where you thought, hey, you know what? If I cut corners here, my adventure or journey becomes more authentic and better, and I'm obviously saving money for my next trip. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think my whole approach, not just to expeditions, but to life since I since I up sticks, you know, got rid of my house, really started downsizing from a three-bedroom house into everything. You know, now I don't have a home. Uh, everything that I need to work, live and play and kind of carry out what is, what's now just a really nice, professional, successful, inverted commas life. You know, I'm all over the place. I don't have a base. I travel really simply. And I think it's a, it's a really nice way to learn that through an adventure because of course you know if you're in a kayak or a stand-up paddleboard or on a bicycle everything you need day in day out you have to carry with you right. and suddenly you realize hold on i don't need all of this crap that i've accumulated back home it's just astonishing and that crap didn't come free you know you paid for it so suddenly i realized that i could be at my happiest when life was simple and i didn't need to spend a great deal of money and that's how i i start out kind of the I guess the super fast planning for all of these trips now is you don't need to spend a lot of money. You know, people think I'm absolutely loaded or that I inherited, you know, a great deal of cash at some point. Absolutely not. You know, I pretty much live on a breadline, but I choose to because life is better when you don't, you know, need to spend money to be happy. And, you know, I, I'm at my happiest when I'm waking up swimming, swinging in between two trees in a hammock, probably next to a lake or a river or the ocean. And that's awesome. And, you know, give me a, a tiny cereal bar or, you know, a, a few noodles and I'm, I'm just the happiest person in the world. Um, I don't need all of that, all of the, the gadgetry and stuff. I've worked out what's really important now. And I, I think the key <laughs> answering your original question is what do you need and what do you want? You know, and then stop spending money on what you want and just be happy with what you need. 
So you're saying it's impossible to bring a beanbag chair on a stand-up paddleboard for a thousand miles. Nothing's impossible, (laughs) (laughs) But do you need it or do you want it? Yeah, there you go. Speaking of that, though, what are some of the essentials that you always do bring with you on these adventures? Because I think that could be a really neat list to help people pare down what it is between what you would need on something like this and what it is that you would want on something like this. Definitely really cool kind of logistical question. And, you know, I'd like to add to that first, if anybody has, you know, further questions on this, always feel free to get in touch um, through my website or the Facebook, which we'll share later. But the things that I carry on every trip, I carry my MacBook with me and a camera. Uh, I carry an iPhone as well. So sharing stories along the way um, really helps me kind of get the most out of an expedition. Not only that, but I get to kind of really understand everywhere I am. But there's this brilliant knock-on effect that makes other people want to go off on adventures too, and quite often they do. So my iPhone is pretty much my office. I I do my emails on there, I film, I edit, literally on iMovie on my iPhone. I do good morning films every single trip. I take photos, you know, I I do a lot of stuff on there. I have my MacBook too for when I'm editing my my bigger episodic films on the way, and that's kind of where I'm, I do all my presentations through as well. I carry a little solar panel and a battery, so literally I, I it's very rare that I need to charge up in a building. I just kind of take the sun's energy and... And, and boom, that keeps everything going. Everything else is just kind of uh, additional, really. You know, I, I, I dress, I pack my clothing according to the climate I'm going to go to. Of course, the, the mode of travel and the way I'm going to carry things differs from journey to journey. But ultimately, I just carry a couple of T-shirts. Usually, they've got the words, say yes, more on. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, what more do you need, really? You know, I'm, if I'm traveling uh, on water, I'll, I'll wash my clothes uh, in that water usually. And Man, you just don't need much at all. Usually my, my bags weigh about, you know, 10, 15 kilos, absolute max. And that's my life. Yeah. And uh, building on that a little bit, a question that, that selfishly I want to ask you is how hard is it for you to balance the adventure part of what you're doing with the quote unquote work part? And that would be, you know, making the videos and responding to emails and keeping people updated because now, the adventure is is your job, and even though it's an awesome job and, and a great life, as you've already attested to, there is a part of it that you have to be fulfilling certain requirements, and that is keeping people abreast of what you're doing. How have you been able to balance that? Because I envision that that becomes a difficult thing to do because there's so much pulling you to just go out and skateboard as much as you can today, but then you think, all right, well, shouldn't I be doing this? Shouldn't I be doing that? Even with traveling, even if I'm not on an adventure, but just traveling, I know that's very hard for me to balance. Have you figured out a good way to do that yet? Yeah, totally. I just don't do anything I don't want to do, basically. Um, <laughs> Perfect. There, there's so many different sides to this. And, you know, although kind of this adventure job title is, I guess, the closest way I've found out to sum everything up, um, there's so many different projects I'm working on on any given day. And if I'm kind of, you know, feeling at the end of my tether with anything or even getting close to it or feeling tired and oh, I can't remember the last time I was bored, to be honest, I just move on to something else for a little while and just get refreshed. Yeah, I just don't do anything I don't want to do. You have to be quite ruthless with your time. It's got to the stage now where, you know, if I had 55 hours in every single day, I still couldn't do everything that comes my way. So, you know, saying yes to one thing means saying no to something else. And, you know, the more the more of a yes person you are, the more you have to say no. But it's just about managing your time and, and realizing 
uh, with a bit of foresight what you're going to get most out of. So every given day is split up doing so many things, you know, answering questions via email, occasionally doing a cool little podcast like this, which I love doing. And then, you know, switching everything off, writing a book, editing a film. It is a, a really cool juggling act, but it becomes really easy when you know how you want to spend your time and what enriches you. I wouldn't say that there's anything I don't enjoy doing. Um, it's not hard at all, actually. You know, I, I don't like saying no to people, but actually, if, I, I, if I'm saying no, it's because there's something better that I'm doing with my time. So it's kind of OK. Yeah, I think that's a that's a neat point is just kind of taking time to self-reflect, whether it be during the adventure, after the adventure, before you travel, whatever it is. And saying, all right, well, is this worth it? And is it worth it? Not, not in a financial sense and not in a business sense, although you can ask yourself those questions as well. But is it worth my time? Or could I be doing something better with my time that I enjoy more? And usually what I found, and it's not always cut and dry and it's not always simple like we're making it sound, but what I found is when I start doing the stuff that I enjoy more, hey, I like doing a podcast. I'm going to do it five times a week. People thought that was crazy. Well, I enjoy doing it. So yes, there's been times where it's been quote unquote work in the, in the fact that I have to put in the time, but it's been fun. Usually when you end up doing that, you see the most productive side of yourself, right? Because you're engaged with it and you enjoy doing it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and all the best things require work, you know. Uh, you you get to the stage where you're kind of satisfied day in, day out. It's because you've worked hard. I work more hours than I ever did when I had a job. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, totally. But, I, you know, I, I just, I really like it. The only rule I have really to kind of govern whether or not I'm going to be long-term satisfied with any decision is I'll never, ever do anything again for money that I don't enjoy. That's it. Because that's that's just the root of evil. You know, it's said time and time again. But for me, the only time I ever really compromise my myself, my happiness, is when I get tempted. And, and it hasn't happened since 2010. That's when I made that decision and I've absolutely stuck to it. I will never do anything for money if I'm not going to enjoy it. And you, you know when you make a choice to do something, whether you're going to enjoy it or not, whether it's going to totally fulfill you. And if I think I'm ever going to compromise myself, if I'm going to end up thinking, oh, man, I'm looking forward to the end of this project because of the cash. God, what a horrible way to live. You know, I couldn't imagine doing that. That's exactly what I did at my day job, day in, day out. And, you know, my time is more valuable than any cash. The best thing about that is I only spend time doing things I like, which means I'm naturally developing a certain set of skills, which I enjoy employing. And then suddenly, as time goes on with any kind of amount of practice or work, suddenly you find yourself earning money doing things that you absolutely 100% love. And that's where I got to the stage now, you know, and of course, it required a lot of compromise. And I slept on a lot of couches for a lot of years. But, you know, it's getting to the stage now where I can afford to, you know, do and be pretty much wherever I want. And, you know, I still choose to be a hobo. <laughs> <laughs> and as you mentioned, I, I think that, you know, it it took you that decision for you in 2010. And I think a lot of people listening, if there's someone who's just starting out, and I didn't intend to talk about business here, but I think you've shined a light on some really important points. And that is, you know, you might not figure it out right away. You might not know what you're good at. You might not even know what you enjoy doing. I mean, you might and you might enjoy something and then a year later you don't. But the more you try different things, the the more it's going to become 
clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer until eventually you're getting to probably that one or two or three things that you really enjoy doing. But you don't always know that right away. And, and you mentioned in 2010, you, you had started maybe thinking you were going to do different things and realized, hey, this isn't what I want. But you wouldn't have known had you not started and had you not gone down a few different paths to see what really worked. And I think a lot of people are scared to do that because they want to make the perfect decision right away. But you can't really do that. Very few of us, I think, have enough foresight to know exactly what it is we want to do and how we want to do it before we even start. Totally. You know, and I'm also completely aware that I'm going to be making mistakes for the rest of my life. And that's cool. You know, the key is just embracing what you get from the failures because you you learn from it. And, you know, even even those kind of effectively inverted commas wasted few years in my early 20s. I, I wouldn't have got to where I am now without them. So it's all, you know, we are the sum of all of our experiences, but it, it takes some guts to get out there sometimes and, you know, m- almost a risk taking that first big step, the leap of faith, whatever you want to call it, and just really go for it. Yeah, sometimes you fall flat on your face, but it's brilliant. You just learn to step a different way next time. Um, but you're not going to learn anything if you do the same thing day in, day out. That's that's all I'm absolutely sure of. And slowly you, you develop that ability to refine your choices day in, day out. And ultimately, you know, you're the only one in control of how you spend your time. If you're not, then you really need to change something. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of falling flat on your faces, one of the things I love to ask guests is about their travel mistakes and mishaps. And and a lot of the listeners have written me in and, and, and said, you know, we love that part of the show because we love hearing people who have espoused all this wisdom and knowledge. And then you get them at the end by saying, you know, what are some of your hilarious mishaps that you've had while traveling? And I've mentioned plenty of mine on this show from, you know, not having the right pages in my passport, getting stuck in countries because of that, crashing motorbikes. You know, there's a lot of different things and they're they're good stories afterwards and sometimes even during do you have any hilarious mishaps that stick out in your mind is something you did that you just thought oh my gosh i can't believe either this happened to me or this was you did something dumb that ended up having you know kind of funny consequences while you were traveling (laughs) oh it's a really good question see the hard thing now is i have to kind of try and think about seven million moments that and condense it into one which is really really difficult (laughs) i think what what i can say kind of aligned to that as i at the same time and it's really hard for men to do two things at once but i'm going to try and bring up a particular anecdote at the same time as just kind of saying i'm a loser you know i'm i'm a real idiot i'm i don't really overplan things you know i'm fairly clumsy on the whole uh you know I <laughs> I really like just getting to a stage um, and it happens after a couple of weeks of every journey when I've, you know, I've just been outside all the time and I'm super happy. I just get to laugh, you know, at my own idiocy. You know, I will start just singing out loud just because there's no one to hear me or bother. And, you know, I'll just sing the most un-PC stuff out loud and then suddenly you come around the corner and you're laughing at yourself and shouting at the top of your voice and there's a fisherman. You're right there <laughs> looking at you. <laughs> I was coming down the Mississippi once and um, I, I had a carbon fiber, fiber paddle on my stand-up paddleboard and I was still up in Minnesota and the storms were raging in the Mideast and I saw this enormous flash of lightning, you know, and, it, and I could see it hit the ground. And then, you know, you know how you're taught to, you know, when you see the flash and then you count down the seconds to, uh, to the thunder and you know how far away the storm is. Right. Um, and how do you, you know, for, for me, I don't know if it was the same for you, Trav, but for me, when I was a kid, I was taught to kind of measure a second by saying one Mississippi, 
two Mississippi, three Mississippi. Right, right, sure. So even suddenly, the Brits do that. That's good to right, know. Everybody does that, even the Australians, and they're weird. So, you know, <laughs> I find myself on the Mississippi River, literally just uh, innately going, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, <laughs> out loud, top of my voice. And there's a fisherman <laughs> looking at this guy thinking, he is one of the weirdest men I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> oh, like, man. But I needed shelter, so I paddled, I paddled over to him. We had a really nice chat. His name was Bob. <laughs> Seriously. Well, there you go. True story. So Bob thinks you're weird, but he was really nice to you anyway. So Yeah. And you know what? Bob offered me a beer and a bed. Not with him. But, you know, <laughs> we, we just had a lovely evening. It was great. He's a really nice chap. <laughs> he didn't catch anything that day. That's awesome. Well, and I guess you did mention one earlier that I just thought of is you said you ruptured the disc in your back. Was it picking up the elliptigo? Not elliptigoing, but actually like moving it. Yeah, no, you know, these things always happen kind of off duty. Um, it, I, I, I'm really cautious. I was never that kid who kind of climbs a tree because I, I didn't want to fall out and break my arm. Um, the one time I did climb a tree when I was a kid was two weeks before my seventh birthday and I fell off and I broke my bloody arm. Skateboarding. I, I got to the top of a hill, 21st of January, 2007, and I'd been skating for 155 days from Perth. And I got to the top of this hill at Mount Gravett, South Brisbane, and I looked out and I saw the skyline of Brisbane, and I'd never been there before. And for about a year, I'd been saying, I'm going to skate from Perth to Brisbane. This is it. This is my goal. This is everything I'm working towards. And suddenly I find myself having skated across Australia and I'm looking at Brisbane and it was kind of dusk. It was late on a Sunday evening. There weren't really any cars around, which is a really good thing because I just, I just started to cry and I was completely emotionally drained. I was about six kilometers off the finish line and I went down this hill and I was going about 40 kilometers an hour and my focus had just lapsed because I could see the end and I missed this pothole and my board <laughs> disappeared and I tried to run out of it, but I was going at 40 K an hour. I ended up 40 meters further down the road from where I left my board and I left a lot of skin on the road <laughs> and I'm really glad I was wearing my helmet because I had a huge dent in the back of it. <laughs> That's ridiculous. You know, you can't skate 3,615 miles and then fall off three miles before the finish line. That's the only <laughs> time I fell in that journey. All right. Well, I totally believe you now when you say you're not superhuman. And I'm really glad to hear you say that you're afraid to do things because naturally, I think a lot of people listening would think, oh, man, he's just a daredevil. Or he's adventurous by nature. And I was always that kid, too, <laughs> who like, I don't want to climb up that tree. I'm going to fall off. And my friend would scurry up. And I thought, why am I such a fraidy cat? Right? Like, right, but, yeah. Because <laughs> you don't I, hey, get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's really neat to hear you say that. Some cool mishaps. The one last thing I want to touch on before I let you go here. I, I love that you, you do all these crazy adventures and you have the Expedition 1000 project and all these things, but you also did a few, I guess we'll call these smaller projects. And I think this is neat for anyone listening who who's sitting there thinking, okay, well, I'm not going to paddleboard. I'm not going to skateboard. I'm not going to let to go, blah, 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 all the things that Dave has done. But they could take on some of these smaller projects. And really, this is just cool ways to build some, I want to say, discipline, dedication, and just have some fun with your life. You've done something where you stayed awake for 72 hours. You've done another where you took a 1,000 photos of yourself and you know won a day for a 1,000 days. You went on 100 dates. You're doing a thing where you 50 ways to make 50 pounds, like a job. Can you just discuss the, the purpose of these mini projects? Because as you said, you have a lot of these huge projects going on. What's the purpose of these smaller ones? 
Yeah, and I'm really glad you brought those up because it's really rare that I get to talk about them. But you know, they they just really enrich me in between my bigger my my bigger journeys, if you like. And I I love people, I love society, and our mindset, and I like exploring all kinds of things. Um, so even if it's just setting myself a little task of dedication, like taking a photo every day for the rest of my life, or uh, you know, going up to a, a basketball court and trying to kick a football from 30 meters into the hoop, you know, it takes a long time. But once you get it, you think, cool, not only am I better at football or soccer, <laughs> but I've just done something really weird, but I'm glad I did it because now I know I can do it. And you know, just exploring uh, different ways that people earn money and just showing that you can never, you should never ever get tied to one particular income and make that, you know, define your decisions and choices. Because there are so many different ways to earn money out there. We all need a little bit, but it's nice to know that there's different choices out there. I love these little projects. And please, if you go to my website, uh, have a look at the projects page because, you know, probably they're more interesting than the huge journeys where it's really hard to condense all of the experiences into, you know, one web page. It's quite, it's just quite fun. I just really like doing new stuff and I never want to stop doing that. I think everything also is almost based on, can I do this or I'm scared of this? And then just facing up to it and going for it. Yeah, anyone can try to stay up for 72 hours. And I mean, whether they'll be able to or not, that's right. another story. But that's so just uncomfortable. A, <laughs> right, right. But it's just a funny thing. And we had um, the author AJ Jacobs on the show before, and he built his life around basically being a human guinea pig. And he does these big projects as well of, you know, for a year, he's going to take every rule of the Bible and, and follow it step by step, you know, for a whole <laughs> year. So all these massive <laughs> projects, right? But there's so many little things you can do to just enrich your life and make it really what it comes down to is make it more fun, right? I mean, that's right. that's the goal. Yes. Yeah, totally. Make your life memorable. And there's no point in doing anything unless it's fun. Why would you choose to do something if it's just going to be intrinsically miserable? There's no point in that. You know, now and then if fun is going to come as a result of the misery, like an expedition, <laughs> like an endurance journey or event, fine. You know, that's what running a marathon is. It's bloody horrible. And then you get to the end and you think, I'm so glad I did that, you know. But you've got to make it fun. You've got to make life memorable. Otherwise, you just forget it all. And what would be the point in that? Yeah. And as children, we always, you know, I remember doing all these little things. Let's take a video camera out when we we're 15 and just run around in a chicken suit and, and do something stupid and film it, right? Like, there's no purpose right. except that it's fun. But why don't we do that as adults? And I, I don't know. I think that the cool little projects that you've done are as you mentioned, just as interesting and just as inspirational as the big ones because it's things that anyone can do and it's just ways to to keep life fun, make it interesting and just enjoy the time that you have here. Yeah, totally. And I think you've absolutely hit on it for me. I, I don't want to let adulthood or the decisions and responsibilities that come with apparently being an adult in today's world remove the joy, the unreserved joy and exuberance I could feel as a child when I was experiencing something. You know, so all of these projects just remind me that I'm allowed to feel happy in public and, you know, I'm allowed to enjoy stuff. The, the number of times, you know, a guy came up to me in America at some point when I was paddling down and I think I'd given a, a talk um, to a bunch of people. And he came up afterwards and said, yeah, but you can't do this forever. 
you can't enjoy life forever. When are you going to get a job? <laughs> you know, <laughs> insinuating that work is not fun. It's ridiculous. You know, I, I can't imagine, you know, how miserable that bloke was. And I told him so. <laughs> and he had a little laugh. But I think, you know, just being able to have a drink with somebody and then come up with this ridiculous plan. Once upon a time, I would have woken up the next morning and gone to work and done some really bad graphic design and thought, <laughs> oh, gosh, we were funny last night. Never going to do that. Now, if I ever come up with an idea like that, whether it's over a pint or completely sober, I'm going to do it because it's going to make life better. Yeah, 100% agree. <laughs> what do you have then in the pipeline that people should be looking out for, either personally or professionally or with the Expedition 1000? What's coming up for you? All kinds of stuff. But I guess the, I've got 14 more thousand mile expeditions. I don't know what the next one's going to be. Yet. I'm not quite ready to decide on that. So in the meantime, um, my partner, Emily, and I have this uh we usually do it twice a year it's a project called exploring mindset and we usually go to a remote part of the world quite often we take people on a yacht and it's a chance to get away you know usually folks come on there if they're ready for a transition they're ready for a change and the project's called exploring mindset so we're off to the caribbean um it's a hard life i know but we're off to the caribbean <laughs> um there's two places actually left on this and applications close at the end of the week so gosh man if you're in a position where you really want to talk to some people who've done some cool stuff and have a bit of a mentorship program at the same time as being in a place where mobile phones aren't going to bother you you're going to have a chance to think and understand exactly who you are and then you know be able to talk about that as things that you you really really want to the important things in life but they're not easy to discuss day to day this is the project for you before that i'm going to do the first leg of a brand new project you this might be familiar it's called project origin but the idea is to do 25 different journeys but each one is a hundred miles or more and they're okay. all going to be by inflatable stand-up paddleboard i love stand-up paddleboard <laughs> it's really good for you and the idea uh, for that is just to have another long-term project that i can fit in between the bigger journeys at the same time as visiting some really cool places the cool thing about project origin is with each journey i'm going to be encouraging a couple of kind of philanthropic ideas one is just begin it's for everybody Say yes more, begin something. If you're thinking about it, just, okay, enough excuses. So uh, you can kind of get in touch with me or a few more um, really cool people who've done some amazing things and ask advice and let's help you start, you know, your next big project. Let's Whether it's escaping from a job you don't like or setting up an expedition or a new business or whatever, um, we're those positive nudges, you know. And the other thing is we want to plant a million trees. So 25 100 miles or so by stand-up paddleboard across 25 different journeys. But I'm looking for different companies to get involved, even if they can commit to planting 10 trees per journey, preferably 100, preferably 1,000. You know, let's let's get involved. And individuals can be part of this too. I'm just literally in the process of, of coming up with the ideas. I decided to do this uh, two weeks ago. I knew I was going to Martinique <laughs> to start exploring mindset. So I'm going to fly out 10 days earlier, paddleboard 130 miles around the island and, and kick off this project. But there's going to be a million trees in the ground by the time it's finished. It's a really cool idea. Yeah, there you go. Well, why, you know, why stop at uh, 25, a thousand milers, 25, a hundred milers? Pretty cool, Dave. That's some, some awesome stuff. And I, we didn't even talk about all the stuff you're doing philanthropically with, with your Expedition 1000 project, but you guys can see that on the site. He, Dave goes in depth on that and uh, raising money, raising, I, I believe it's a million pounds that you're trying to raise, correct? Yeah, definitely. That's, 
you know that's one of the one of the the long term aims through this. But if, you know, if people want to kind of explore the projects and the adventures, a really good place to to kind of look back over the portfolio, if you like. That's a very business like term. <laughs> that's on my website at davecornthwaite.com. But on a day to day basis, I share through Twitter and Instagram on at Dave Corn, and I think Facebook, the Facebook page at forward slash Expedition One Thousand. That's, you know, every single day I'm sharing new thoughts, ideas, getting people involved in projects, as well as when I'm on a trip, just sharing day-to-day stories from them. It would be cool if you could kind of go and like that page and, you know, really get involved. Awesome. Yeah. And Dave, thanks again so much for coming on the show. You really are a true inspiration for all of us out there to really just start saying yes more. And as we kind of discussed, living life in a more childlike manner, right? In a more joyful manner. (laughs) And feel good about it too. That's not a bad thing. We're taught that it's a bad thing to be childlike when we're adults, but actually it just means enjoying ourselves. Yeah. So Dave, thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Mate, I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Guys, we've just scratched the surface on all the crazy cool things Dave has done. He's mentioned some of them. There's even more. So if you want to learn more, head on over davecornwaith.com. Of course, we're going to link up everything that we talked about in the show notes here. You can find that at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash expedition 1000, like the number 1000. Don't forget, we're still doing five shows a week. We're looking forward to your input on topics and guests that we want to have on. Dave was actually a recommendation from Tupac guests. So Dave, I think you're the only person who's been on that two people recommended. So there you go. Congrats on that. I'm playing air guitar right now. (laughs) Both other British adventurers, Tom Allen from episode 15, Leon McCarran from episode 50. So if you're looking for some other awesome British adventurer episodes, you can check those out. We're just building our, as you said, portfolio of British adventurer episodes here at Extra Pack of Peanuts. So if you guys have topics or guests that you want us to have on, send me an email, trav at extrapackofpeanuts.com. You can also tweet us at Pack of Peanuts. I'll do everything in my power to get those people on the show. That's all we've got for today, folks. Thanks again for joining us, for all the support, for making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. Dave, again, thank you so much. It was so awesome to have you on the show. Mate, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Until tomorrow, everyone. Happy free travels. 